What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the Two Man Power Trip. Chad and John, the Two Man Power Trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Trip of Wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, courtesy of our buddies over at Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime, John Paz. And John, today, we'll get to you in just a minute, but we're going to finish up the trifecta of New Jersey independent wrestling talent from that mid to late 1990s era. You know, we would know it as the Attitude Era or the Monday Night War Era, but that New Jersey Northeast independent scene was so hot. And if you listen to Reckless Youth and you listen to Devin Storm and you did a little bit more digging and you went and listened to Steve Carino, you learned a lot about that Northeastern independent scene. And we're going to finish off that trifecta, but then also threw Carino in there. So the four of them, the quartet, if you will, you're going to hear stories about WCW, you're going to hear stories about the WWF, and what I love is you're going to hear stories about how Ace Darling became a fan of professional wrestling and what feud ignited that love and that passion that really led to a great career. And since he retired, he's gone on to do so many great things in his personal life, and he's going to tell you all about that. But like I said, in finishing up this quartet of guys, it's been a lot of fun to go down memory lane and really relive some of those great NWA New Jersey shows we actually if you're listening to Reckless Youth, John had mentioned New Jack City Wrestling, and we get to just really have a good laugh at some of these old school stories of these independent organizations that are long gone, but still that lasting legacy is living on through the stories on shows like this, and of course other ones that maybe go in a little bit more detail about the indie scenes of you know either their territory or their area, or maybe even their genre or their years, but... 
we really hope you enjoy Ace Darling. It was a lot of fun to do it. It's also cool when you get three Jersey guys on one call and, uh, you know, kind of shoot the breeze because I think we hit it off pretty well because, uh, you know, that's a, it might be a Jersey thing, but it was all good. But now, before we get over to Ace Darling and before we get into a little two-man power trip of wrestling business, got a little bit of an announcement to make, and we normally don't announce an upcoming episode, but if you're listening to this in real time, this coming Tuesday, December 15th, the phenomenal AJ Styles comes to the two-man power trip of wrestling, and AJ Styles gives everything that you could possibly imagine we would ask. He gives us the answers to. He addresses his injury status. He addresses the rumors of NXT. He addresses what's going to be happening into the new year. Is he planning on retiring? How's his back? It, we cover everything from the A to the Z, as the Iron Sheik would say. And if you know John, and you know how much he's really such an AJ Styles guy, a, a TNA guy from back in the day, a New Japan guy, you know, he was in his glory. So really look forward to that. It was an awesome interview. And we really think you're going to enjoy it. Now, speaking of things you're going to enjoy, you're going to head on over to the TopRopePress.com radio network. You're going to head over there. You're going to get some exclusive best ofs and some really cool content coming their way in 2016. And you're going to enjoy every single minute of that. But you're also going to head on over to Meowbox.com. You're going to throw the promo code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box. Again, it's POWERTRIP10. It's in all capital letters. If you've heard it once, you've heard it a thousand times. But you're going to go over to Meowbox.com. Throw that in there. You're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription. And with the holidays coming, what better thing to give than a monthly cat box subscription courtesy of Meowbox.com. I know I would love one under my tree, and I know my tag team partner would love one under his tree as well. And John, while you're at it, hit him with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business and tell them a little bit more about Meowbox, and then we're going to send it over to the great Ace Darling. Yes, Meowbox, baby. They are the best. They have a a little service called One Box Can, where every Meow Box purchase will get you a can of food donated to a shelter cat on your behalf. So that is excellent. Also remember, all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where your edible items are coming from. Now, if you have a picky cat like mine, Lucy, who uh, has a bit of a special diet, you can replace your edible items with toys and surprises, which little Lucy absolutely loves, and that is great of Meowbox. So just remember, folks, that is Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. And now on to some TMPT business. Chad, as you previously mentioned, we are now part of the Top Rope Press family. That's right, Top Rope, excuse me, TopRopePress.com and the Top Rope Press Radio Network. We're a part of them and we're giving exclusive best ofs every week on there. So please check us out there and please check out Top Rope Press dot com for all your wrestling needs because they're the best in the business today also some more tmpt business like us on facebook follow us on twitter at wrestling pal and at two man power trip also subscribe to us on youtube you can also subscribe to us on itunes please leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback also while you're on itunes check out the feed for past great episodes with the late great american dream dusty Rhodes, harley race ricky the dragon steamboat sergeant slaughter tully blanchard stan the lariat hansen the blueprint matt morgan 
Scotty Riggs, Jerry Lynn, and so, so, so many more. So please check us out on iTunes. Don't forget about the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. And speaking of another great sports network that we're associated with, check us out every week on the I-95 Sports Network. Google it up and check it out. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We're bringing best ofs and exclusives to them as well. So please check us out on there. Always some good stuff. Now... If you're interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. Just remember one thing, he's back out of exile, and if you can, check out the pictures of his transformation because he is looking huge. He's back, and he's in great shape, and he wants to bring the bike club to a town near you. So email us. For all that booking information on the big man and while you're at it, go check out the Kevin Thorne page on Pro Wrestling Tees. They're making the greatest t-shirts in the history of the wrestling business. So please go to ProWrestlingTees.com for all your Kevin Thorne t-shirts. And you too can be a member of the Bike Club. So joining us on the line tonight, you might know him from the Northeastern Independent Wrestling scene as Ace Darling... And if you think about some of the guests we've had on recently with the two-man power trip of wrestling, he fits right in at home. And Ace Darling, we're going to welcome you in right now to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And we like to sit here and we like to recant on some of our memories of that Northeastern independent scene of the mid to late 90s. And names that jump out to us, of course, are Reckless Youth, Devin Storm, and Ace Darling, and for us, I mean, John and I were spending many a night at some of those uh, armories and churches and high school gyms down in that uh, Monmouth Ocean County area of New Jersey, uh, which if you hear the Devin Storm episode, we beat to death. So we just kind of want to get into it right now. We want to talk about how you got into the business. Obviously, we know that you went to the uh, Iron Mike Sharp School of Professional Wrestling, uh, but what brought you to that point and what got you to Iron Mike Sharp? I was always a lifelong fan. I was always, you know, kids watched baseball or football growing up. I had one interest, and that was wrestling. Uh, I was, like, the guy in school. Like, every class has, like, the wrestling fan. <laughs> you know, that was that was definitely me. I just, I was obsessed. I was just 24 hours a day wrestling. And that's uh, the perfect time, too, I'm sure, by the, uh, that, that mid to late 80s. Uh, the the wrestling scene was blowing up, especially you know in New Jersey, where you know obviously we we've already established that we're all Jersey guys, and uh, no shortage of of going to find a show and finding your local uh, you know your local promotion. But uh, who was it that really stood out to you as a fan growing up? Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a couple guys that might stick out, but who was your favorite actually? My first real favorite guy was Ricky Steamboat. I got I got involved in wrestling uh, around WrestleMania two. And then uh, right around that time after that, you know, he had that a big feud with with uh, Randy Savage, and that just it was real personal and it was real intense. And Ricky was just the greatest babyface of all time. Uh, it just really got me into wrestling. I was, really became a big Ricky Steamboat fan, and um, you know, later years Macho Man too. But just just the build up for that for that match at WrestleMania three. I mean, everyone talks about the match, but the the build-up is what got me. You know, every week they would they would just get so close to touching each other, but they they wouldn't. 
every week you'd want to see them, you know, finally go at it. That you had to buy the pay per view and you had to you had to wait six months to see the match. And that's just it's just every week I just tune in like maybe this week Ricky will finally get his hands on Randy and you know you'd watch Saturday night's main event and it wouldn't happen. But it'd be close and then you just you know you had to watch the pay per view. It just it really it hooked me. Yeah, that's definitely a go-to feud that I, a lot of guys, especially anybody that watched in that era, that's the go-to feud because obviously the match, like you said, was just like it was the payoff that was fantastic. And actually, if you find some of their earlier matches too, it's, I mean, it's you know, they're awesome. I mean, there's no two ways around it. But when you found out about Iron Mike Sharp and obviously the bad guy of the uh, the time period, the uh, the well-known uh, enhancement worker for the WWF, finding Iron Mike Sharp was that. Like, amazing to you that he was so close to home and that you could get down there and join a wrestling school? Yeah, it really was. Uh, I remember when I was a junior in high school, uh, I sent a letter to the Monster Factory, and I got back, like, the generic, you know, when come on down letter, and I thought, wow, here we go. Here's the big time, you know, And but I realized it was, you know, it was an hour and something away, and I really, you know, when I was in high school, to me, that just seemed like the, so, you know, an hour to me was like, you know, hundreds of miles, but then when I found out Mike Sharp had a school in Brick, and I, I was friends with uh, one of the referees from there, he would go to the, to the indie shows, and uh, I met up with him, and he brought me down to Mike Sharp's, and I was uh, I was 17 at the time, and uh, you needed parental consent, and my parents weren't really uh, big on the whole wrestling thing, so uh, I, I forged their signature, and I put my money down, and started started training. Now that's definitely uh, that's a really awesome way of uh, of finding your way into the school. Now, when you get into the school, was it everything you expected, or was it uh, was it a little bit uh, of a culture shock uh, getting in there? I tell you, you know, you, you really you hear a lot of horror stories about about guys, you know, getting beat up a lot and you know just getting their money taken from them, and that, that didn't happen because I think I think as at Mike Sharp's, uh, there really wasn't a trainer, like there wasn't one guy running the school. It was more or less. Uh, it was a free for all. Uh, if you knew something, if, if if there were guys there who knew more than you, they taught you, and it's kind of like that's just how things went. And I think the reason why they, they didn't beat you up and get get rid of you is because you really didn't pay a lot up front and you made the monthly payments. So I think they wanted you to stick around. But I'll, I'll tell you this: I I trained, I trained four times. I trained. I was in a ring four times, and then Mike Sharp would have his school shows. Uh, every two weeks, he'd have school shows, and I, I just went there because I was a student, and someone didn't show up, and Mike put me in a match my you know, second week into training, which is probably the worst thing you can do, uh, or the best thing, I mean, depending on how you, you look at it, because, I mean, how else are you going to learn? But, yeah, I, I I had my first match in front of people. Uh, I joined up on a Friday. I had, I had a, a match the following Saturday. Wow. Gee, that's <laughs> pretty... That's pretty crazy, but how about Iron Mike himself? Because uh, I think he's kind of fallen off the uh, the map uh, as of late and hasn't really been uh, heard or seen uh, lately. But a lot of guys coming from that school, and we'll get into them in a minute, but how about Iron Mike himself? Uh, because still really you know, prevalent on TV at that point. Uh, everybody knew him, and if you went to any of those indie shows uh, in that New Jersey area back in that day, he was always either the headliner or on the card in some capacity, but how was it, you know, learning directly from Iron Mike? Again, I never really locked up with Mike Sharp. He never got in the ring with us. Uh, he ran the school as far as the business and paying the bills, uh, 
Um, but never, he'd occasionally watch the matches, um, occasionally uh, give us a little bit of feedback, but it was just a kind of free fall. It wasn't like an organized class, like, like okay, today we're going to learn, we're going to go over A, B, and C, and then we're going to go over interviews. It was nothing like that. It was kind of, okay, you show up, you you know, you, you, you work out with who's ever in the ring. And uh, as far as a trainer, Mike wasn't a trainer. But as far as a man, Mike was great. I Mike, he never told you anything that, that wasn't the truth. Um, he never blew smoke up your butt. Um, he was very honest. He was very nice. Uh, he had so many stories. And, and anyone, you mentioned Mike Sharp in wrestling, everyone has Mike Sharp stories. And the guy's, <laughs> the guy's, uh, he's, 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 he's uh, Got got some quirks to him, that's for sure. But I can't say anything bad about Mike. Mike was a you know very very honest, very nice guy. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's cool. You also don't think of a big Canadian uh, down in Central Jersey, you know, hanging out on the shore, uh, operating a wrestling school. So that in itself is definitely uh, an anomaly. But about the, some of the guys in the class, and obviously, you know, we heard from Devin Storm. And he was telling us his perspective, but, you know, there's a, a great group of guys that have come out of there, and I think it's one of those schools that, you know, it's not forgotten by time. It just needs to have a little bit more out there about it. But talk about some of the talent that came out of that school, especially when you were there. Uh, Stevie Richards, he didn't break in there. But my first week there, he showed up just because it was another school to train at, and he would drive down uh, and train there. And right off the bat, I knew this, that guy, was he was different. I mean, he had a passion uh, that was different than everybody else's. So I, I knew, you know, one way or the other, whether on the Indies or a grander scale, that he was gonna, he was gonna be great, and he he, he was. He, he's a great, great talent. Uh, uh, Simon Dean, uh, he he started there. Uh, Mike Busey, uh, Supernova, you know, he started there. Um, Devin Storm. I'm trying to think of known indie guys that came out of there. That you would know. I'm not really sure that anyone else that that stands out. A lot of guys, you know, went up and did TV jobs for a while, but those are the main guys who actually, you know, worked and, and you know made a kind of a, a name for themselves. Now you mentioned obviously Iron Mike Sharp, and this, we're talking about the school, and you kind of mentioned everyone has an Iron Mike uh, Sharp story. Do you have a, a good quirky uh, story about Iron Mike? He was he was a neat freak. Like when he was getting changed, he couldn't put his knee on the on the on the on the ground. Like he was putting on his, his boots, so he had like like a little pad, like a gym pad, but it was like a, a three feet by three feet. He put on the ground, and uh, he put his knee on there. If you, open, if you looked in his, his workout bag, he had like like ten bars of soap and like rolls of deodorant. Uh, he was just an odd ball, uh, an odd bird. Um, what he. He used to get to the shows, to the, to the TV tapings late, because Mike, Mike was always late. But he would just stay hours after the show was over, just working out, doing like the stretchy band or climbing upstairs. Um, he got locked into the build in one of the buildings once. Uh, it's a famous, famous story from back in the day. He got locked in one of the buildings once because they were just closing the building, and they realized Mike was still in there working out. <laughs> so Mike got stuck in the building one night too. So that's a pretty funny uh, Mike Sharp story. He had uh, OCD, I guess, or what, what? Like, what was his like little quirkiness about him? I'm not, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose him. I can just tell you he was a little quirky. He, uh, 
he's, he's different. He's, he, uh, he definitely marched uh, to his own, uh, the beat of his own drum, that's for sure. Now, when you actually broke into the business, I guess, what was like, what was the year you debuted? Was it about 1992? 92, yeah. Well, I started training. I graduated high school in 92. I started training February of, of 92 at, at Mike Sharp's, and he would run the, the, the shows every two weeks there at, at his school. And what was your first exposure, you know, because obviously the New Jersey indie scene uh, is something, uh, you know, of legend because so many good guys came and went through, and there's so many good guys, like you mentioned, that went to the Iron Mike Sharp School, but who was, like, the first indie promotion you ended up wrestling at? Well, actually, the first the first real match I ever had in front of people outside of Mike Sharp's wrestling school is uh, the WWF came to uh, Asbury Park Convention Center, and... Um, we all, a lot of the students went and I went up to Tony Garia, who was a, a road agent at the time. Uh, and I said to him, you know, I'm part of Mike Sharp's wrestling school. If you guys are in the area and you need any, any enhancement talent, you know, please let me know. And he didn't even know Mike Sharp had a school. So ever, as soon as I said that, then they started calling, then they told Mike Sharp, bring some guys with you. So my first match in front of people was three weeks after I graduated high school in Portland, Maine. I worked with uh, with uh, Skinner, Steve Kern, and there's probably 12,000 people, and I was greener than grass, and I was just, it was so, I was just, it was so nerve-wracking that I kind of like froze in there and didn't know what to do, and I was scared out of my mind, and thank God I was in there with someone as understanding as uh, as he was, uh, but I got through it, and um, they, about a year later is when they started calling us to do TV regularly. Um, but I'd start working for uh, a- a- anyone. You just show up. Uh, Dennis Coluso was a huge, huge help. And he ran the NWA in New Jersey. He booked me, you know, more than than anyone back then. And he was just he was great to me. Um, Dino Santa, Dino Santa ran shows in Pennsylvania. Uh, Tommy Fierro ran shows uh, in New Jersey for ISPW a little later on. Um, it was just guys in New York like Dennis Glam, uh, Tommy D, just a- a- anyone and everyone. Jim Kettner out of Delaware. I worked for him a lot. You know, I'm sure I'm missing people, and someone's going to curse me out on Facebook this week. But <laughs> yeah, those are the those are the ones that stand out when I first started. Now, that's pretty great. Uh, not a lot of people's first match is against you know a veteran, a guy who's been you know everywhere in the business, like Steve Kern. It's pretty uh amazing first match to have. Well, I, I tell you, it really taught me an important lesson early on. I, I basically froze up on the guy, and he, he just was very understanding, and he knew I was green, and, and he just got me through it. And, uh, you know, you hear stories about, you know, this one this one taught this guy a lesson in the ring, and this one, you know, stretched this guy. And it's just, a, that's a bunch of crap, if you ask me. You know, Steve Kern... You know, he could have broke my neck if he wanted to or done whatever he wanted to. And he knew I was green and I wasn't screwed up on purpose. I was just green. And he just took, he just took care of me in there. And I, I ran into him years later. And I and I, remind, I told him that story. I said, you know, my first match was really against you. And I was terrible. And, uh, you know, that's just what ring generals do. It's this, this idea of that you got to teach the young guys a lesson if they screw up. You know, I always thought that was a bunch of crap. And I always use that mindset later on when I was the ring general. So uh, it was a good lesson to learn. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely great. And what was interesting, what you kind of mentioned there with uh, Iron Mike Sharp and, and Tony Gurria not knowing he had a school. So it wasn't like Iron Mike Sharp kind of got you with the WWF um, enhanced matches. almost like you got him in his school, all those matches with the WWF. Well, Mike was going up anyway. So Mike, Mike was uh, part of the regular TV uh, crew anyway. But I got, yeah, I definitely got everybody from the school uh, TV matches. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I don't know if Mike didn't want didn't want anybody to know because he didn't want to you know someone goes up there as more people to go up there you know that that means there's a less need for other people so you know people like that in wrestling I'm, I'm not saying that that was Mike's motive but you know he, they get I'll say this they didn't know he had a wrestling school <laughs> I'll leave it at that because I really can't speculate any more than than that but they didn't know he had a wrestling school. Did he ever uh, say anything to you like how did they know I have a wrestling school or anything no, like no. that? Nope, nope. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea. Uh, he worked. He worked that night on the show. He worked with Glenn Roos, who went on to be a headbanger. But at the time, it was just Mike Sharp versus Glenn Roos. And uh, I don't know how I remember that. I can't remember like what I had for breakfast. But wrestling shows, you know, just, <laughs> just still to this day, I just remember stuff. Yeah, I can remember the first show. I went to the to the uh, uh, Philadelphia. Was, no, it was better. Oh, so, yeah, Philadelphia Spectrum. My first show ever. Uh, January 28th, 1987. I just remember wrestling. I always have for some reason. I don't know. I guess I'm just a wrestling nerd, but that's not, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing, right, guys? That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly normal the, to me. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do you remember what <laughs> the, uh, the, the main event was that night? The main event was supposed to be Randy Savage defending the Intercontinental title against Andre the Giant, and they changed it to Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat. Well, not due really heated up. It was right before WrestleMania that three that year, and I was so excited to see Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage, and I was like, Dad, the, the Intercontinental title is going to change hands, because back then you didn't see the title defended on TV. You know, you only saw it at house shows, so so I'm thinking, wow, this is the only time Ricky's getting his, his chance at the title. Meanwhile, they're having the same show, you know, in every city all over, all over the country. And they're a typical house show match, you know, they run around a lot, and they, they stall, and there's a DQ. And then, you know, fast forward three months, WrestleMania three comes, and my dad's like, we should have, that's the kind of match we should have saw that night. Well, the, you know, you don't understand back then, there's a, there's a house show mode and a paper, pay-per-view mode, you know, because the body couldn't do that match every night, you know, 300 times a year. So, yeah, that was the main event. That is great, and great, uh... Great recollection there. Great memory. That's, I'll, uh, tell you, I'll tell you this, too. In 1997, I got a chance to wrestle in the old Spectrum, the old Spectrum, because then there was a new Spectrum, but I had a chance to wrestle in the old Spectrum for WCW, and it was just, like, the coolest, like, moment. If you ask me, like, what's your, your favorite moments, that's one of the top five. I got a chance to be in the same arena, and I went in there before the show and stood in the ring. And I looked up at the cheap seats where I was sitting. I was like, wow, you know what? This is pretty damn cool. Ten years ago, I was up there watching it. Now I'm going to get a chance to wrestle here. Was that uh, the infamous Outsiders versus the Extremists? No, no, that was... No, we're definitely jumping ahead, but no, that wasn't the Outsiders. The Outsiders was um, months before that. It was was me and and Devin versus uh, Joe Gomez and Ice Train in a dark match. Oh, okay, nice. Now, uh, 
you know, I'm definitely one who uh, hit on uh, the outsiders for a second there because we talked to Devin Storm about it, and it was awesome as a fan because obviously, you know, NWO was hot then, but especially being like a Jersey guy like myself, I'm like, Chad, seeing you and Devin Storm, you know, on Nitro, you know, they're bringing out a tag team to face the world tag team champs, the outsiders. And at this point, WWE Nitro is obviously the most popular show. It was, it was number one. It was, it was kind of killing raw at this point. What was it like, you know, in WCW wrestling hall and Nash? Prior to that, I knew both of them from working for, uh, doing TV for WWF. You know, back in the day, it was, it was a lot of TV enhancement matches. You know, you didn't have, before the Monday Night Wars, you didn't have the competitive matches every week. You had the Saturday morning job matches, you know, and I did a lot of those. And then even when Raw first started, and um, everyone always bagged on Scott Hall. Scott Hall's never been nothing but cool to me. I worked with the Hit Shrinkers one time, and I came back, and in front of everybody, he said, this kid takes great bumps. You know, you didn't have to say that, but he was always cool. And Kevin, I worked with a few times when he was Diesel. Actually, I took I took this one bump for him on on a Monday Night Raw. That if you, there's an old Coliseum Home video, uh, Diesel and uh, for Diesel, and I'm wearing these purple trunks, and so many of my bumps were on his highlight uh, reel that night uh, on that DVD from that match. And um, and he always remembered that, and he was always super cool too. So you know, I. Uh, yeah, everyone was like, oh, you guys got squashed on, on, on Nitro. All right, well, I was 22 years old. I was in college. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was great. I never I, I never cared, like, if I if I got squashed, if I had a competitive match. I just wanted to work. You know, I just wanted to I just wanted to work. And, uh, you know, I was a 22-year-old kid getting a, getting flown around for WCW. I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty cool regardless if I was winning or losing. Yeah, and uh, Devin Storm definitely had the same attitude, but he, you know, he was saying that he's wrestling the top guys in the business on the top show in the business, and basically two weeks in a row, you guys fought the Outsiders on Monday Nitro. So, you know, that's got to be uh, definitely a special feeling, regardless of, uh, you know, you guys getting squashed or not. I mean, I would have, you know, don't get me wrong, I'd rather have worked with, you know, an eight-minute match with Public Enemy. You know, that's uh, that was always more fun, or, you know, someone – that you can get a chance to work with, but you know it is, it is what it is. Some nights, some nights are about you. Some nights are about someone else. And that's that's wrestling 101, you know. And uh, <clears throat> you know if you're going to get killed, I mean the outsiders are, are are the guys you get killed by, you know. Definitely, and it was really cool, you know, because obviously you know we've seen you on live and in person, and it's like, oh my god. That's the guys of the outsiders fight. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool that they're, you know, you know, they kind of made it to the to the big time. You know, seeing those guys, uh, you know, you've seen wrestle a hundred times, and then you see them making on TV against Hall and Nash was definitely a cool experience. You know, from my point of view, you know, you go to the indie shows too, and and the fans would come up to you and they say, oh, are you guys on the Halloween Havoc uh, this Sunday? You know, they, they didn't. You know, a lot of people don't associate you know your role. They think that. You're with WCW, and, you know. Meanwhile, you know we weren't working that much for them. We we didn't have a contract, but it definitely helped with the indie bookings. I'll tell you that. Oh, I could definitely see that, and you know you were booked everywhere on the indie scene. But if I could go back, to kind of where we were hitting the point before with uh, you know you getting that bookings with uh, WWF, and you talked about wrestling Diesel and and uh, the Head Shrinkers and guys like that. But when you originally kind of were on Superstars and wrestling challenge and everything. How, like, how old were you at, at this point? You had to have been pretty young, right? 
started when I was 18 doing the TV. TV. I did it till I was about about 22. And you and you got you know you worked with everybody back then. You, know, you worked with 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 everyone. You know, usually usually if you were an enhancement guy, you were either either a babyface enhancement guy or a heel. Like you didn't like you didn't work with a heel one week and a babyface the other usually. So I I worked with all the heels. So I got to work with Sean Owen. Um, Bastion Booger, Adam Bomb, IRS, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Bam Bam, Savio Vega, uh, when he was Quang, Tatanka, you know, Henry Godwin, uh, you know, a lot of the guys. And then I got, you know, as I got more, you know, more experienced and they come to the Indies, I get a chance to work with a lot of the, a lot of the top guys on the Indies. Cause it seemed like they were only allowed to work with certain guys that like you had, you had to get, you let the office know who they were working with, and I was—I guess I was on the—I guess I was on the good list, because so, every time someone came to an indie show, I, you know, Bob Holly, Bart Gunn, Too Cold Scorpio, yeah, I'd end up working with them. And that's—that's that's, you know really cool just to uh, be out there with some of those names. I mean, you mentioned uh, some really, really great you know main eventers and high-level talent, especially at that point. But how did they treat you? You know, did, did they any of the guys like stiff you, or you know, were they generally you know a good bunch to deal with? When you're working uh, on TV, or when you're working with them on the Indies? No, no, when you're working with them on TV. Uh, generally, most of them were great, and most of them loved to work with me too because they knew I was gonna bump bump my ass off. Can you say that on, your, on the show? Yes. Yep. Can you, okay, you can say that. Okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> I, I bump my ass off for them. You know, I'd make you know I make them look great. So most of the time it was awesome. Um, there were guys though, you know, you, you didn't want to work with, uh, Matt Bourne would drop you on your head, uh, once in a while. And it's funny because six, seven years ago, Matt was in my kitchen and I told him the story. I said, we worked on TV one time ago and you punched me behind the ear and you knocked me out cold. And, uh, you know, Matt, Matt was a little nervous. You'd be nervous to work with Matt. um, the Quebecers would just beat the crap out of you. I hated working with them. They were just they, Jacques would talk to you like he was a used car salesman. He'd say, "Oh, if I miss you with a move, he goes just just sell it. They'll, they'll get it on a different camera angle and they'll make it look like we killed you." And let me tell you, they didn't miss anything. If you were a job guy, you were taking their finish. Holy crap! They would they would kill you with it. And then you'd see them work with you know a contract talent, you know, and they they'd hit that finish, you know, and they hit it legit, you know, they hit it where. You know, they they working with the guy. If you were a job guy, they just they smack you in the ear. They just beat the crap out of you. You hate it. It's funny. You get the TV and there'd be the lineup on on the wall, and there'd be the the top guys on one side, and generally the job guys would be blank, and then they fill it in as the days go on. And you just keep every time they update the list, you just run over. You wouldn't want to be in Quebecers. You Matt Bourne. Depending on what kind of mood he was in, Yokozuna. Depending on what kind of mood he was in, because I see him land on people's heads pretty damn hard uh, once in a while. But still, you know, you're, you know, that that. But overall, it was it was it wasn't a bad thing to work with. When I worked with them on the Indies, it was awesome because because they knew they knew I was going to take care of them and and uh, you know there was no ego when it came to me. You know, I was just. What do I do tonight? You know, working with Buff Bagwell tonight? No problem. What's his finish? You know, it wasn't. It wasn't like you know. Oh, I gotta get my shit in type of guy. I've never been that kind of guy, and uh, so I've never had a problem working with with anybody. 
Now, one guy, uh, you know, just remember, I don't know if he was stiffing guys, but, you know, as a kid or, you know, as a younger fan, it definitely struck me as he was. But I remember you had a, a match with Ludwig Borga. Was he a little stiff in the ring with those punches? He, he, okay, Ludwig Borga told you beforehand in that in this thick accent, he says, you fuck up. Can I say that on your show? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm... Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, am I, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't oh, yeah. even think about that. I feel, like, I feel like I'm talking to two old buds. You know, that's how comfortable <laughs> I am. But he, he'd tell you that. He'd say, you, he'd say, you F up, I F you up. That's what he'd say to you. And I worked to him, and I took a, I took a bump off a clothesline. I took a big 360, and he just, he just loved it, and he was great. All the guys, like I said, you know, if you made them look good, that's all they, that's all, what's the point of hurting somebody who, who's going out of their way to, to make you look good, I, you know, I've seen I've seen job guys get get messed up big time, but it's because you know they, they stunk and they they shouldn't have been in the ring, and uh, guys were on TV and they were looking they were looking terrible, you know that you know, you're trying to make them look like superstars and and when you don't, you know I've seen it go pretty bad, but no, I I, I only thing you know besides besides Pierre from the Quebecers landing on me and you know really really hard, you know I, on purpose, no one else really. Has ever been a problem? No. What about fellow New Jersey guy, the late great Bam Bam Bigelow? How is he in the ring? Amazing, amazing. He was he was great. He was uh, white as a feather. He could move. He was athletic. He was generous in there. Um, but think about it. These guys are getting. Let's think of it this way. These guys are getting four minutes of TV time. Four minutes to get you to believe they're a superstar. You know, they get four minutes that week. They might not get that, that time for another month. They're giving me a spot. If they're giving me a move out of the way and fire up on them, I mean, that, that's generous. You know, that, that's, they don't have to do that. I never expected a spot. If I got one, awesome. But, again, I never thought the guy was a jerk if he didn't give me one. You know, that wasn't the style back then either. Competitive matches on TV, never. You know, so, but Bam Bam, yeah. Bam Bam would... Would, it was great. Very generous in there. Very, uh, very easy to work with. Yeah, pleasure. You know, fast forwarding just a little bit, but you know, staying with him instead of yeah. You worked Kurt Angle too, correct? I worked Kurt Angle in one of his first matches in a dark match, um, and he said to me, "Would you would you mind calling the match for me? I'm a little bit green." <laughs> it was Kurt Angle, so uh, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, we worked about uh, I'd say about nine ten minutes uh, in the Meadowlands Arena. You know, my like hometown arena when I was a kid growing up, you know, like that was the arena I went to. So that was awesome. Um, you know, working Kurt was, was awesome. Even back then, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I kind of live in a bubble. Like I don't really, you know, I work, have a great job, got a great family. I play with my kids, but I'm kind of like a her, hermit. Like I don't know much about sports or what's going on in the world. So about the wrestle Kurt Angle. I knew the name, but I didn't know anything about the guy. I knew he was in developmental. I seen him do a few draft matches when he was up there, but I didn't know who the hell the guy was. So we're, we're, we're about to go out there, and Jim Ross is talking to him, saying, oh, yeah, I watched your promos and uh, wherever developmental was, he was back then. And Jim Ross goes, you know, with your Olympic background, and, and me like a complete jackass, we were just getting ready to go out there, and I said to the guy, oh, you won the Olympics? He looked at me like I had nine heads and said, yeah, I won the gold medal for, for wrestling. And right there, they go, 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 your turn, go to the ring. And I'm like, this guy's going to kill me. 
this guy's gonna kill me. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like saying that you know, I, I don't know, Walt Disney. Hey, you ever been to an amusement park? You know, I mean, that's that's like his his forte. And I, yeah, I felt like such a jerk. I really. And but no, the match was great, and and uh, yeah, great great little match. Did you kind of see him becoming a huge huge star at that point, or you know, you kind of uh, with the way Jim Ross was calling, you know, talking to him and stuff, you kind of figured he was going to be. You know, it's funny. It can go either way. You know, you you can say like, like how many times do they pull the plug on someone too soon, and they don't have a chance to get over. You know what I mean? You don't know. It's like if if they have an idea and they want you to get over, most likely you're going to get over, or you know you're going to get over on your own, and they're not going to like that, or they're going to go with it. Is a million different ways. You know, you know, Olympic gold medalist. You don't, you know, you don't know. Who knows? The guy could have been a flop after six months. The guy to be one of the best in-ring performers, which she turned out to be. You, know, you, just, you just don't know. It's really cool, though, to kind of, uh, you know, lead him, quote-unquote, in the match and to have one of his first matches, you know, within the WWF. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Now, also, you you got some time to wrestle, you know, your old tag partner, Devin Storm, right? You guys had some dark matches against each other? We, uh, we, well, we started out... We seemed to like I don't know, a month when we first met, and then then we would get booked everywhere against each other because we were kind of like I tell you that the, the 1992-93-94 indie circuit was a it was an interesting time because people weren't doing what we were doing. People weren't wrestling the style we were wrestling. You went to a show, it was like it was uh, Jewel Strongbow versus uh, I, I don't know Hillbilly Cousin Luke. You know that was the match. So then you had these two, you know, 19-year-old kids coming in there doing crazy stuff that no one was really doing at the time. This was like before ECW, before cruiserweight divisions. You know, it, it was we kind of made we made a name for ourselves, but the the guys in the back really didn't like it because you know we were doing a lot and they weren't. Uh, but yeah, me and me and Devin wrestled all the time, and then we decided to, to team up, and then we wrestled we wrestled uh, for the WWE in the light heavyweight division when that first started. And uh, we continue to team up. Yeah, we, we I've got to probably wrestled him a hundred times. You guys always seemed, you know, obviously to click and have great chemistry, but also as a tag team, you know, the extremists, or for some reason, WWE guys called you guys the extreme. But what was it like, you know, teaming with them? Because you guys seem to be uh, obviously on the same page. Yeah, well, you say, why do they call us the extreme? The extreme? They called us that to... As a as a rib on ECW, I mean, I you know that was oh, okay. that's what that was all about. I'm sure. I mean, they never said they never sat us down and said, "Hey, we're going to call you this because of this." But I mean, they call us the extreme. They call us from Stanford, and they get have us get squashed. So yeah, I mean that's that's what that was all about. But um, oh, it's great. I mean, I, I tell you, you know, not to toot my own horn, but we definitely uh we definitely could have gone further than we did talent wise. You know, we definitely had great matches wherever we went, and uh, people loved working with us wherever we went, and. Uh, yeah, we definitely could have went further than we did. He he's a blast. He, we're like yin and yang, me and him. He's he's my he's like you know my my oldest and dearest friends from wrestling. We're complete opposites. Like I'm high strong and I'm like all right, listen, let's 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 get it done type of person. He's the kind of guy that says, oh, we'll we'll get it done when we get it done. And I'd always get to the shows like four o'clock and work out in the ring and and go over the match. And he arrives so late and we're just complete opposites. But he's one of my best friends ever, and he's just a sweetheart of a guy. And he's just—he's got a heart of gold, and uh, 
you know, I, he'd, he'd literally give you a shirt off his back. And uh, we're going to Disney World uh, in May, our families together. And uh, he's just he's just a wonderful guy. He's a hard worker, and he's still wrestling, and he's still wrestling like he's 19, and I don't know how it's possible. And, yeah, that's, that's in store for you. That's awesome to hear, you know, because you guys, God, we're, you guys teamed for a long time. It felt like maybe like 15 years or so you guys were teaming ever since the 90s and 2000s. And you guys won tag titles all over the world, so it's great to hear that you guys are still, you know, buddies. Yeah, he's a he's a great guy. He, I give him a lot of credit for putting up with me, because <laughs> uh, like I said, I'm more of the high strung one, and uh, I'm more of a of a I'm more of a basket case than him. And he's just laid back and go with the flow, and he's just he's the best. He's a great guy. Perhaps a uh, NXT invasion for you two. Uh, bring a little bit of that Jersey flavor down <laughs> to uh, down to Orlando. But not only Devin Storm, but obviously you think of some of the other names that stand out from that time period on that New Jersey indie scene. You think about Rick Ratchet, and you think about one of your opponents. Guys frequently uh, fought the Misfits, and you think about some of those guys that really Donnie B, uh, Nova, of course. You know, as we mentioned earlier, but. These guys that really stood out, and the shows really were very good. And that part of the, you know, the boom period of the late 90s, some of those shows were so loaded top to bottom with star power. And not only were you coming for the big names, you know, you were staying for some really good matches. And we were talking with Devin about a match he had with Steve Carino, you know, and on the same card is, uh, you know, Sid Vicious. And you got the infamous night where uh, Dennis Carluzzo gave out Ahmed Johnson's phone number. Uh, there's <laughs> I wasn't there, but, but yeah. Yeah, was, I was. Oh, I was in the building that night. It was nuts. But talk about you know time period and how hot the business was, and you guys were really just having great matches on some great cards that I, you know, you really wish people could see nowadays. You know, it's funny because everyone, like, everyone was, was, everyone was on the same page. It seemed like you know, like everyone knew their spot. As you mentioned Rick Ratchet, you know, he never, you know, I, I didn't mention him. The guys that broke on me, but you know, Rick Ratchet, you know. There was never like a, there was no egos. There was no, it, it was only just seemed like it was just okay. Let's just have some fun and you know we're doing this because we love it because we're not making any money doing it. So yeah, it's great. You know there was a, a lot of big shows back then. There was the Super Eight shows and there was the Eddie Gilbert Memorial shows and uh, yeah, you know it was just it was a different time too because you, you got like a lot of the other name guys. You, know, you got a lot of the guys who just got got out of WWE. Uh, who worked all the indie shows, and uh, you know, I, I I talked to all of them and try and pick their brain. And you have a chance to get a guy like Buddy Landell on the show and get a chance to work with him. And I, I did a double shot one night and I was wrestling uh, in Delaware, and then I had to wrestle come to Jersey and wrestle Buddy Landell. And first time I met him, was, you know, it was five minutes before our match. And you know, I said, man, I'll see, you. I'll, I'll see you in there. That was awesome, you know. I mean, he's going down work with these guys, you know. You get. You guys are all this experience, and you just shut up and you you listen and you learn and you work and you try and pass that on to the to the young guys who who you're gonna work with, you know, in the future. It's just it was just an awesome time, and uh, I was just a sponge, you know. I was just a big fan. I was just a big fan, you know, living uh, living his dream, you know, not making any money, but not really caring. And just when's the next show? When's the next show? You know, you, oh, it's Monday. Crap, at college this week. All right, well, let me just get through it and. Uh, you know, Fridays uh, in Pennsylvania for Blaine DeSantis and Saturdays in Delaware and then Sunday Tommy Fierro was running a show. You know, it was just, that's just all, all I cared about. And how is that balancing, you know, 
how is that balancing a college life and you know working the indie scene at that point and you know it's it's obviously some guys uh, never really finish out, you know, their their plans. And obviously, we were talking about before we came on the air. You know, you went to Monmouth University, but you know, talk about that. It, was it hard to kind of maintain uh, your studies, you know, while you're uh, really starting to kind of make a name for yourself in the uh, wrestling business? Well, you, you, you know, you don't you, you think to yourself, okay, you know, what am I doing this college for? Because I'm going to be a, a superstar and a millionaire. I mean, that's that's what everyone thinks. No one no one gets into wrestling thinking I'm going to wrestle in an armory for, for 20 years, you know, you get in thinking, all right, you're going to be a superstar. But yeah, luckily I stayed in college and got my degree. And, you know, luckily I have, a, I have an awesome career right now. I have been the same company for 16 years, you know, yeah, but it wasn't tough doing the Indies on the weekends. It was tough when, when, uh, I was doing TV and in college, you know, because TV is Monday and, you know, you have class on Monday and it was tough. So, I mean, I, Luckily, like I told my teachers that the story, and they, they were pretty, they were pretty cool with it. But um, it was, it was, it was tough to give a damn about any of my studies or anything. You know, people have these college stories where they had fun and they made friends and uh, and you know they partied and uh, you know lots of people doing college. I guess I didn't. I went to college, I used the gym, and then I came home and I I, I focused on wrestling. You know, so uh, I definitely gave up a lot for wrestling during my college time, but I got my degree. That's all that matters. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. That's uh, that's really awesome, too, especially from a school like uh, like Mammoth. So congratulations on that. But, you know, we want to talk about some more of those uh, New Jersey indies. And, you know, the NWA New Jersey was a personal favorite of mine. But uh, one thing, you know, John and I always kind of laugh about it, and uh, we, we got a kind of a, a little bit of a pop out of uh, Reckless Youth, and we were talking to him. What are your memories of New Jack City Wrestling and the infamous New Jack City Wrestling commercial? Really local reference for people, but any uh, memories of New Jack City Wrestling that stand out to you? <laughs> wow. Um, I'm put this. wasn't the best run organization. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, this New Jack City Wrestling commercial is wow. That, that was that was yeah that was funny. Uh, I totally forgot about those commercials, but yeah, those. You know, again, it's it just back then. It was just you, you, there were so many guys running so many shows, and I was on all of them that you know it was hard to say what's your favorite and what's this. Uh, I mean, it was just if I got a chance to wrestle you know, Reckless Youth or Devin or someone like that. It was great. If I got a chance to wrestle, you know, one of the local guys where, where it wasn't as much fun, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't so great. But uh, yeah, again, I was just. It's all the shows back then. You know, most of the shows, you know, if you're watching them, you're thinking, you know, wow, these are great. But when you're in there with some of these guys, and especially some of these local guys, it's not that easy. A lot of them stunk. You know, a lot of them were just terrible. You know, especially, I remember working for, you know, Dino Santa in Pennsylvania, and you would just see this cringe when you get there. Who am I wrestling? Oh, God, I drove four hours for this? You know, it just, it wasn't, you know, a lot of the guys weren't easy to work with. And, uh, but uh, New Jack City was New Jack City. It was okay. But, you know, as far as that he was awesome. You know, I probably wrestled him 50 times. And, you know, we, we just had our mess down, down pat that we could just do these sequences and twists and turns and that only me and him would do together because it was like our spots. We just knew each other. And, you know, I loved working with him. I, and he was safe and 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd lay down and let him jump off a building on me, you know, or, or lay down and let him moonsault me. You know, I, he just, he was just dead on. He, I trusted him with, you know, my body, like, like for, close to no other. He was just awesome. And you talk about Northeast Indy guys, Simon Diamond is overlooked a lot. That guy was awesome. He was, he was in ECW for a while in TNA. He works there now in the office. Simon Diamond. Mm-hmm. Wayne Stadler. You familiar with him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you, okay. I completely agree. Okay. I'm, I'm actually, yeah. I, I just realized that we're not looking at each other because uh, I'm not in my head in agreement because, yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. He is, uh, <laughs> he is really overlooked. And we always we talk about these other guys, like, you know, yourself. We talk about Devin. We talk about Reckless. But, yeah, Simon Diamond's another one. Always a mainstay and very, very good in the ring and always put on a great show. But, yeah, you know, he still manages to, um, you know, he's working down with TNA. He's been there for a while. But uh, another guy kind of gets overlooked by, uh, you know, the fact there was a plethora of great workers, you know, and he, he obviously managed to uh, hang around a little bit longer. I think he gets overlooked because he, he didn't do anything flashy. But everything he did was good. He talked good. He looked good. He was believable. Like, he was like, I like, a, like a, at the time, like a modern-day Tully Blanchard. Like, everything he did was – every. I'd say, okay, what was what was what was so and so great at? What was Crowbar great at? Or what was Reckless Youth? What was Lance great at? I don't know, but he was good at everything. You know, he was just a total professional. He was really, really good. Mike Quackenbush was really good and young and hungry back then. He was just always oh, just a sponge, just a sponge. Like he would he would want you to watch his match and tell you everything bad. He was just a sponge back then. He was he was a a great little worker back then. And he went on to promote shows he still is you know he he had a lot of passion for wrestling he was good i'm just trying to plug some other guys that that stood out back then danny inferno i don't know if you guys know danny inferno inferno kid he went from generic indie guy to just a a worker a worker's worker like overnight like he went away to he went he went down developmental for a while but he was he was uh towards the end there he really became just a, a worker he was really good yeah, I know there's so many guys. You know, we talk about, you know, the jokes with uh, New Jack City Wrestling, but, you know, we cannot overlook the, the ECWA Super 8 and, of course, your involvement in the first annual ECWA Super 8. Before it was a, an annual thing, it was just the first thing. Talk about your memories of that and being involved in that now prestigious tournament after all these years. At the time, it was really just, like, Jim Kenner always says that me, uh, Kidman, uh, Devin and 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 Simon Diamond kept saying to him, "We need to have like this Japanese style tournaments here," and it gives me a lot of credit for the invention of the Super Eight. And honestly, I, if I if we were talking about it back there, then I don't remember this, but he always gives me credit for it. Um, it's funny because you, you watch you watch the first one back now, and we didn't do anything. It's like you know, Super Eight known for this cruiserweight style, and I could have done that back then, but for some reason, we didn't do any of that back then. It was more a story about the show and about what we were doing next month and the angles because we were in the same building every month, you know? So we were just, we were always, always just, just doing things from the angle to get you to come back next month. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool at the time because it was different because no one was doing tournaments and, uh, and Jim decided to do one and then you know, looking, everyone's doing tournaments. Yeah. Then the next year, uh, got in it. So the next, I was, I was in the second one. I was in the third one. That was the fourth one by default. I'll tell you, uh, tell you uh, 
someone got hurt in the middle of the tournament. Like after the first round, he came back and he, he was legit hurt. So uh, I said to Jim, I said, why don't I go out this against Chris Daniels for like five minutes before the match? I said, well, yeah, I was hosting the event. I go, if someone's going to fill in, shouldn't, shouldn't it be me? Like, wouldn't it make sense for me to fill in, for me to do it? Since I had been in the first three, so I went out there and worked with Chris Daniels, and that was fun. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, it was a... Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, good memories. Uh, nothing but good memories from from Delaware and ECWA. And you know, you eventually become uh, ECWA World Champion. So you definitely kind of built them up to something that people you know look forward to year after year, especially the you know Super Eight tournament. When when I first started working for Jim, it was basically just his local indie guys. They, excuse me, they, they weren't even indie guys. They were his guys. Like he trained them. They were all. ECWA guys, like there wasn't like bringing guys in from the outside. It was his shows, his guys, and most of them weren't. I mean, I I hate to hate to say negative stuff, but most of them weren't good. And um, and Jim started bringing outside guys in, and there was a there was uh, Simon Diamond at the time, and he just he stood out to me as wow, this guy this guy got it. There was two baby faces. I do the heel, Mister Uwala. He still He's still wrestling to this day. He's still as funny and, and, and creative as ever. He's just as funny as a like a like a comedic heel or babyface, whatever he is. But he's a comedy wrestler. He's great. And there's two babyfaces, Cheetah Master uh, and Boogie Woogie Brown. I don't know if you guys are familiar with either of them, but those two guys, if they were on if they were on a national stage and a chance to get over, get over, get over, they, they both could have done it anywhere they went. They would just they. I remember, I remember working with Boogie, and kids crying when he got the heat on him. I remember working for Cheetah and kids, kids going charging the rail. My ears hurt from from the kids screaming so much when he was in there. And these guys just had, they just had it. Like, you know, it wasn't athletics. It wasn't, it wasn't anything they did in the match. It was just they had, they had it. Those two guys could have, could have been over and huge stars anywhere in wrestling. Now, obviously, I mean, there's, there's so many guys. I mean, Mike Quackenbush, and you know, obviously another guy, uh, Don Montoya. I mean, there's so many kind of those like underrated, forgotten guys. It's unbelievable. If you're, like thinking back, yeah, Don Montoya, he, he was a he was a good big man. That's for sure. He was a he was a good worker. Um, I'm trying to think of more guys, but yeah, those. If you guys know any names, throw them out there. And I'll tell you what I what I think of them. <laughs> you know, uh, well, obviously. Uh, you know, a name we kind of, you know, talked about a little bit, but what about Steve Carino back then? Did you kind of see him being like a national star? You know, obviously he was huge uh, on the scene, but did you kind of uh, foresee him being a, a big-time star and, 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 you know, somebody who's known as being like the master of the mic? No, definitely. I definitely didn't see him uh, making a living wrestling. Uh, I remember, I remember, uh, uh, it was supposed to be me, Kidman versus uh, Simon and Crowbar, and Crowbar was hurt. So I said, "Put Carino in. He's 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 good. He's got to be good." Um, yeah, he was just a great guy back then. He always, whenever I see him, he says, "You know, you were the only, you were the first top indie guy that didn't treat me like a skinny kid." He always says that, and uh, every time I see him, he says he says stuff like that. I love Steve. I love him to death. Do I think he'd be able to make a living at wrestling at the time? No, because. You know what? 
2%, 5% of us, uh, you know, get a chance to do that. Did I see greatness? No, he's just another indie guy, but he was good. He's better than, he was better than the guys in the locker room. He had more passion than anybody else in the locker room. And uh, he wasn't going to be told no. That's why he, he was so successful. Absolutely, and uh, unfortunately now he's just had a neck surgery, so I don't know if he's retired or if he's you know going to bounce back from that. But hopefully, he, you know, hopefully he's not done. I mean, but he might be, unfortunately. You know, it gets to a point where you know you're in your 40s. You know, how many more times are you going to get in the ring? You know, not just Steve, anybody. You know, what do you? What are you getting ready for? You know, your body is just so many miles on it, and it's beat up, and it's, you know, it's, it's not the thrill it once was. And you're not making money, and you're getting beat up physically. What's, you know, you got to step away. True, and he, you know, he's an announcer for uh, Ring of Honor, so it's almost like, hey, why don't you just, uh, you know, take it easy and uh, stay behind the the mic. Yeah. Now, obviously. You know, we talked about Devin Storm, who who kind of moved on to uh, WCW for a while, and we talked about Reckless Youth a little bit, who was in Ring of Honor. Did you have any, you know, aspirations of, uh, you know, latching on to WCW or, you know, maybe ECW or maybe like Ring of Honor when it came around? Uh, Ring of Honor wasn't big really when I was wrestling. Like when I was when I was hungry wrestling, thinking I was going to be, you know, make a living at it. So, um, y- you know, these guys, I'll tell you this: the guys who make it. Are guys who want, who are willing to give up anything to make it, you know, the passion, the desire. But it's a double-edged sword because when you quote unquote make it, let's say you make a job somewhere and you're making, you know, okay money for a couple of years, and then what happens when you when you get let's go when you're 30 years old or 35 years old and you have no work experience and you're thrown back into the real world and you have no college degree? So uh, you know, did I have aspirations to go to ECW? Um, I met Paulie, and he said, anytime you want to come to the arena, come to the arena. I'm sure he says that to everybody. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm sure he says that to everybody. But he said, anytime you want to come, you know, come, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you work. So I had uh, I, re- I read Jerry Lynn, who I knew, but uh, but someone told me, hey, Jerry's going to be at this bar tonight. So we went and hung out with Jerry Lynn. He was the ECW champion at the time. And I said to him, I said, hey, should I, uh, should I come to, to the arena? He goes, hell no. Hell no. He goes, he goes I'm a champion. I haven't gotten paid in six months. There's no one's getting paid. He goes, wait till we get a new TV deal. Then you, then you come. And everyone knows what happened there. Um, I mean, you know, when I was, when I was, I'd say, you know, I wrestled 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. I thought that I was going to be able to go somewhere with it. Then I graduated college and I had a little job. And, you know, I kind of like, I put wrestling on the back burner. You know, fast forward now, I'm 41. You know, I had a great career and, you know, beautiful family, you know, beautiful wife and kids, you know, I mean, would I be more financially better off by pursued wrestling? Maybe. Would I be less? Most likely. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. You can't live with what it is. I never, you know, I never put all my eggs in the wrestling basket, so I kind of like, you know, well, for someone like, like Devin, who, you know, did get a job at WCW, he was fortunate enough to to have uh, his degree, and now he runs a very successful business. You know, a lot of people don't have that. You know, people would make fun of us when we'd wrestle that that we'd uh, you know have to go to school, and you know we were focused on other things too. You know, well, 
Let's see if that will happen now when they're, you know, when they're trying to make that next $50 indie booking to pay the electric bill, you know, we don't have to, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, you kind of, you know, um, we're in uh, the last major territory that a lot of people, a lot of fans like to say about Smoky Mountain. So, you you know, you kind of were almost, well, you know, latching on to uh, something that was going to hit it big there in Smoky Mountain. But it didn't quite, obviously, you know, we know what happened, so it didn't quite make it. But a lot of people refer to it as like the last territory. Do you remember your time down there in Smoky Mountain with uh, Jimmy Cornette? I don't like the TV there. Um uh, Paul's Mahoney was uh, just got a job as uh, as as Boo Bradley, and he needed a ride up there. And I knew Jim because I knew Jim forever. So uh, so Ball said, you know, Mike Mike Morales will come up and do TV. He said, absolutely. So I drove I drove Balls and a guy by the name of AC Connor. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but he went on to be D.O. Brown. I drove oh. them up in my in my car. That kept overheating. It was an eight-hour trip. Took us probably 12 hours. So um, we drop uh, balls off with uh, with Chris Candido and Tammy because they had to get because my car was about to overheat. So we had to just let it rest. But he had to get the TV. So me and Dilo are, are uh, in the car. And we're driving. I call it Smoky Mountain Wrestling because it's legit on Smoky Mountains. So we're going up this mountain very slow. And my car starts hydroplaning, and I, I'm, I'm spinning. And he and I are heading towards this ditch, and I'm thinking we're dead. And for, for the grace of God, I, we ended up in a different ditch where, it, where there was no drop. So I was, just, I was on the side of the road. I said to him, I was stuck. Stuck. It's like something that my cousin Vinny, I'm like, why don't you go push, push the car, and I'll gun, I'll gun it, and you'll get me out of the ditch. So he did it, and I hear him scream, and I look, and he's just covered in mud and crap and, <laughs> and, and grass. I tell you that what, though, the people of Kentucky, within five minutes, they had us hitched up and taken out of the ditch, and we're on our way. And if that was in Jersey, they, I'd still be in that ditch. You know, 20 years later, <laughs> people would be throwing cans at me or giving me the middle finger, you know. These people were nice. But I, I got to work with um, Dilo. It was his, uh, his tryout, too. So if you ever talk to him, he only became successful because I got him a job there. Um, I worked with with Balls when he was Boo Bradley there. Uh, I worked with uh, Dirty White Boy, and um, I worked the Battle Royale. There's a lot of talent in that Battle Royale. The Gangsters were there. Um, Ricky Morton was in there. Heavenly Bodies. So yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I loved it. You know, again, you know, I was a big big mark for Jim Cornette. So anytime I had a chance to work with him, that was a that was just a lot of fun. Did you want to kind of latch on and stay down there? Or, you know, you yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Guy? Oh, no, I would have moved it. I would have moved it a second, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did they just not have a spot, or were they, was that was when they were kind of, like, winded down? Well, you know, it's it's so funny. Everyone's such a big fan of yours, but, you know, there are people that offer the jobs. Well, no, I don't know. You know, you got to figure there's, you know, here I was. I was a, you know, 20, 20-year-old college kid, skinny, you know, no look. You know, yeah, that could work, but you know, fifty guys, you know, fifty guys, five thousand guys were looking for a job, you know, in the same in the same spot. So, that's so easy to say, what about me? Well, my guys want one spot, and you know, five thousand guys. So, gotcha. And and obviously, Dilo did you know kind of latch on down there, and he's another uh, you know, like you mentioned, you kind of made him look good, but he's another uh, Jersey you know indie guy that's kind of a uh, 
you know, another one, you know, another one on to the many of great New Jersey indie guys. What, you know, what are your thoughts on Delo? You think that, uh, you know, he was going to kind of make it and latch on? He was. He could move for a big man. You know, he could move for a big guy. Um, yeah, he was great. I mean, I met. That was the first time I met him that trip. I didn't know. I didn't know him from from anybody. Never saw him work. Never heard of him before. Um, but yeah, you, you get to know someone pretty well when you're when you're going through the mountains of, of Kentucky and you're traveling with a, with a black gentleman and there's you know there's the, the crosses in the front <laughs> yards because you know it's, it's back in the back in the day is 1994 where uh, you know those people weren't weren't too welcome so you get to bond pretty you get, you get pretty close with someone in those situations that's legit that's a true story like there was we're going through these towns and they're close to people's front yards in Kentucky. But, yeah, he's, he's great. He's, he's awesome. You know, he, he, he deserves everything he got. And so, you know, I saw him at a convention at a Comic-Con early, uh, a year ago, and I was telling him, you got your job because of me? He goes, yep, I sure did. So he's, he's a great guy. <laughs> um, definitely a different world down there in the, in the Smoky Mountains, for yeah. sure. Definitely different than New Jersey, I'd say that much. Now, as we uh, start to wind it down a little bit here, you know, you wrestled basically uh, so many great guys, and obviously, you know, you've been in WWF, you've been in WCW, you've been everywhere, you've done it all, but do you have a favorite match, or maybe a couple favorite matches that you've had in your career? That's hard. That's a hard question. Um, favorite match? Uh, when I was very, very young, I got a chance to wrestle Tio Santana in this little ice rink. There's probably a thousand people there, and it was you know, for me, that was a big crowd. Uh, that was a big crowd back then when you're used to wrestling in front of, you know, 15 people. And uh, I was, I was pretty. You know, I wrestled like four or five years at the time. And he said to me, and I, "Oh, back up." I, I, Tito's one of my favorites, all-time favorites. And I told him that. And every time I see him, I tell him that. You know, you're one of the reasons why I started to wrestle. And the first time I got a chance to wrestle him, he said, "You're calling the match." He says, "I'm not. I'm going to go in there. And I'm not going to say a word." He goes, "You're calling the entire match." That was awesome. That was amazing. I ran to his son, you know, 10 years later, and I, I told his son that story, how much I just looked up to his dad and how cool that was. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, favorite matches? Um, it was a match me, Nova, uh, Reckless, and, and Crowbar had. The four-way. It was big at the time. That that stands out. Um, anytime I had to work with Kidman, our chemistry was off the hook. Crowbar, Quackenbush, Reckless—you know all those guys. Just Simon, just guys you had chemistry with. You know, guys that you know you're gonna you blow the roof off the place and not even have to do it much because you just know each other. You know, so I guess more it's like fa- more famous, more favorite opponents rather than favorite matches. I got you on that, and you know it's funny. The indie scene back then, there were so many uh, good guys and good talent, and obviously you had like Tito Santana's of the world that are come in, and, and you know they'll have a match, and you know they'll bring in a, a pretty good amount of uh, people. What do you think about the independent scene today? Are you familiar with it at all? Have you been keeping up with it? Do you ever go to shows anymore or anything? I've been to three shows in the last three years. I don't have the WWE Network. I don't watch the product. Yeah, you know, not one of these bitter, bitter guys. You know, wrestling. I just, I just, I'm just not in love with it anymore. So, you know, the passion isn't there anymore. Um, I watch old school, like 80s, 90s stuff every day. You know, when I do my cardio at the gym, but I don't watch it. I don't know. I, I don't know. 
don't know anything about the, the new independence. I'm glad I'm not doing it because I thought what I did was crazy. You, know, you see some of the moves the guys do now. It's just like, holy cow, you know how, how these guys are walking. You know, they, they do that pay-per-view style match every single, every single, you know, three times a week on on their TV shows. And then the indie guys, I don't know physically how guys are going to are gonna walk when they're in their 40s and 50s. But yeah, I really don't watch much. Right, it's crazy. But I just remember the indie days, you know, back when I was younger. It was definitely some fun times because uh, always seemed to draw a pretty good, uh, you know, pretty good house and always seemed to be uh, pretty decent uh, crowds. Do you have a favorite, like, town or maybe a favorite place you worked at? Wildwood Convention Center was great. That was awesome. Tommy Fierro ran there one summer, eight weeks in a row, and it was just huge crowds every single week. That was awesome. Uh, St. Matthew's Parish in Delaware. Jim Kenton used to run there. Um, let me find out who's there. Now, you know, you wrestled so many great legends and, and big names, you could say, and, and obviously uh, some great matches Devin Storm and Reckless Youth, a couple of guys, you know, that, you know we love as, as, as fans, but two rounds. You know, a dream match in mind, a guy that you never wear will wrestle, that if you could one day, you know, strap up the boots again, that you'd want to wrestle? Ricky Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat. I, I always want to work. I always have, like, a, I have a list. I have a list. Like, I got a chance to I always want to work with Owen. I wrestle them. I always want to work with Sean and Marty. I like to wrestle both of them. I always want to wrestle Tito. I did. Then there's, I always want to work with Ricky Steamboat. I always want to wrestle, uh, Randy Savage never did. Um, I, I like to work with you know like Daniel Bryan, CM Punk guys, like relatively from this generation, but like old school guys. You know, like I always wanted to wrestle the Honky Dog Man. I got a, I got a chance to do that a couple times because when I was a kid, he was the number one heel, and I was you know a figure mark in there. Get a chance to work with him, you know, or you know any any guy I had a chance to watch on TV as a kid at the wrestle was awesome. But I, I, I like to wrestle guys from from that era, you know, like. Anyone, any any of the top guys back then, because they were all stars to me. You know what I mean? Coco Beware was a star because I was ten at the time. You know, but very nice. Now, as we wrap up here, and before we uh, we find out a little bit more about where you're doing these days, uh, what's something you feel like you'd leave behind to the wrestling business, having retired a few years ago? You know, you said you don't really watch, which I, I think a lot of people uh, are, might be in agreement with you uh, on how bad, you know, the TV product is. And uh, well, But what would you say you're going to leave on the business, uh, you know, with the book closed now? I don't have any delusions about my career. I don't really think I'm leaving much of a impact on the business as a whole as far as maybe the Northeast Indies and, you know, guys who used to come to the show shows. I just think, like, if I wrestled, you knew you were going to see a great match. Um, I was really good at carrying people and making people look good. So I always uh, always stayed busy wrestling. Um, I just had fun. You know, I think I think when I watch matches back now, it's like, you know what, it looked, it looked like I was having fun. Because I was. I was just having fun. I was a kid. I had a chance to wrestle. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just a blast. It really was. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it today. I've, you'll you'll never ever see me wrestle again. But I wouldn't trade my memories and my times and the friends I made for anything. It's, just, it's a great time. It was a great time. 
Definitely, and, and Reckless Youth did refer to you as a ring general, and you guys, I think, really changed the game for a lot of that independent scene in New Jersey. And we, you know, right, just as, not, not even as a two-man power trip, just as two friends, John and I always, you know, talk about those uh, those shows with such great fondness. And uh, we thank you for all the uh, the fun matches and the great memories. I have a picture uh, like a like a doofy 14, 15 year old kid that I was uh, with you and Devin holding uh, tag titles. It's very goofy, and it's uh, yeah. it's on the top stack of one of my picture stacks. So uh, <laughs> That's awesome. there you go. But tell, why don't you give the fans and the listeners two man power trip of wrestling a little bit more information if they want to uh, get in touch with you, Ace Darling, or if they want to uh, find out what you're up to these days. Um, not too much. Uh, I work a lot of hours. I have a great career. I've been sales um, for 16 years and work business is great. You know, I just, you know, I work and I'm a, I'm a dad and, you know, I, not much really to plug. I do, I want to get, get in touch with me. You can find me on, uh, on Facebook, Mike Moraldo. Um, and you know what, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what though. It's, it's pretty funny. You guys mentioned today, if I want to plug anything, I'm oh like, I have nothing to plug, but you know what? I just started an Instagram account. It's funny too because I don't think about wrestling. Like I don't like it's it's Mondays. Like I don't even think oh Raw's on. I just it's just not part of my life anymore. But you know it's funny. About a week ago, my buddy Tommy Fierro, who uh, who uh, who ran ISPW, I'll give his his site a cheap plug. Not that he needs it because he's got too many people liking it already. Uh, 80s <laughs> 80s wrestling picks on Instagram. I'm like you know what. Someone should do one of those for the indies, old school indie picks. Not only of the guys, but of the talent today that went through the indies. Because nowadays, where did a guy break in NXT? Who trained them NXT? Okay, well, good for them. But you know, there are guys who, who like Seth Rollins and like uh, Dean Ambrose and uh, uh, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. They worked the indies, so I, I had just respect for those guys. So I started uh, an Instagram site. It's, it's old school indies old school indies on Instagram. And I just, I have it up for almost a week. And uh, if anyone wants to check it out, check it out. It's just a way to support, you know, not only guys that I have, like, you know, Devin on there, Mike Quackenbush on there, Reckless on there. Uh, but just, you know, uh, just a lot of this, the top guys, too, who who started out in the indies. You know, i got different respect for those kind of guys because, you know, to, to go to a performance center and, you know, to get a paycheck every week and sleep in your own bed, that's great. God bless them. I, I don't. I don't begrudge them at all. But to get in a car and drive, you know, six hours for for twenty five dollars, you know, just 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 for the passion of wrestling, you gotta respect it differently, you know. So that's my cheap plug. Instagram, old school indies. <laughs> Not cheap at all. Love it. We will definitely check that out, and I'll definitely keep my uh, my old school indie picture uh, file deep in the vault. But we thank you, really, really do. Uh, really thank you for coming on. It's been a lot of fun, and thanks for chatting with us. This has been great. Great. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun reliving, you know, my uh, my glory days, and uh, and uh, just a, a lot of fun times and a lot of nice people, and uh, it was fun re- re- revisiting everything, guys. Thank you.